Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. What you believe about God shapes your reality. It shapes your world. It shapes what you think about your world. It shapes what you believe about your world. It shapes how you act in your world. What you believe about God, your theology, shapes how you look at everything else. That's a truth that Pastor Clay established in last week's message from 1 John chapter 5. But does what you believe about God reveal itself in the priority of your life? Let it change my life. Let it go out and make me the person that I'm supposed to be. Let my theology shape my reality so that what I believe, what I tell others, how I act, the way I treat my spouse, that all of those things come under the influence of what I believe about God. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in our series, Building on the Basics. And in 1 John, we've been building on the basic of love. As Pastor Clay takes us further into chapter 5 today, we're going to be exploring how what we believe about God impacts our daily lives. John gives us two specific ways that what we believe about God should affect our priorities. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. You have priorities in your life, right? I mean, most of us do, right? Most of us have priorities in our life. And oftentimes, we would respond, uh, or one of the things that we think of pretty uh, quickly uh, is that, well, you know, my family, that's certainly a priority of my life, my, uh, my spouse, my extended family, my children. We would say that that's a priority. Or some people might say, well, uh, my, my career, my, my, my job, that's a priority of my life or, or something like that. Certainly, those are things that kind of naturally come to mind. Uh, a number of years ago, I was in Kenya, and I was walking down this uh, little trail uh, in the bush, and we were uh, with my interpreter, and we were going from uh, hut to hut doing events, sharing the message of Christ and that sort of thing with the families there, the, the uh, Kenyan people. And we'd been doing that all morning, and we turned, turned around, and we were making our way back to the central location where all the team uh, that was over there uh, part of this, what was called the Western Kenya Crusade, we're going to, we're all going to get together and meet for lunch at this central location. And so, uh, the, but whatever was the appropriate time, we started back down the trail. And as we were going uh, down the trail, <clears throat> off this other little sliver of trail, way, pretty good ways away, uh, was, uh, we, we began to hear someone calling to us, calling out to us. And you could see that there was this, this elderly man uh, standing out in front of his hut, and he was waving, and he was clearly motioning for us to to come uh, over to see him. And um, so uh, I said to my interpreter, um, I said, I, I think he wants us to, to come over there. And, um, and the young man, uh, who spoke in very, very, very good English, but very, very slow, and, you know, that's, uh, he, he, uh, he looks at his arm, and what's so funny about it was he didn't have a, had a watch on, but I guess he'd been watching us watch our watches all week. And so he, goes, he says, he looks at his arm with no watch on it, he says, yes, I believe he does. But I do not believe we will be able to be to lunch on time if we go over there. <laughs> and so I, said, so I said, it's okay. I said, this is probably a bigger priority right now. But I'm sure he'd been told that, you know, Americans like to eat. So make sure you have them back for lunchtime. Priorities. How do we set our priorities? How do we establish our priorities? What are the, pri- what are the natural priorities of our life? 1 John chapter 5, uh, we are uh, making our way through chapter 5. I promise you, we're not going to finish it uh, today because we're going to get to that part. You're going to hear in a minute, we're going to get to that part about uh, 
praying for those who have sinned uh, and then not, don't, not praying for those who have done a, committed a sin unto death and, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's too much to unpack on that to get to that today, okay? But listen, uh, 1 John chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. And if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will For him, give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. God, today as we unpack a little more of chapter 5, I know John's writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing what you would have him to write, but uh, you get a sense that, uh, that he's cramming a lot of stuff in there as he closes out the, the letter. Um, some of it repeating what he's already been saying throughout the letter, and we'll talk about some of that today. And then uh, some, some new ideas, this uh, whole idea of uh, praying for a person who we know is in sin, and, and a sin leading to death, and lots of stuff in there. Give us understanding uh, not just for the sake of understanding, not so that we can say, well, I understand that, but so that we can know you uh, better, more deeply, more completely. That's really what uh, the study of your word is about. There's practical applications, certainly for our lives. And, and I want myself and, and the people who listen to this message, I, I want them to make pack, practical application from what they hear in your word. 
But God, ultimately, I, I really believe that studying, knowing your word is about knowing you. It's about this relationship, not a religion, but a relationship. So today, uh, may your spirit move on my mouth, on my mind, on the people's ears and hearts and minds. May we receive what you would have us to hear. Uh, God, I freely confess to you that I'm so grateful for everyone that comes to hear your word. I want more to come. I want more people to, uh, to sit under your word and learn from your word, whether it's children and children's ministry or students in our student ministry, whether it's uh, people gathered in groups in our life groups, whether it's gathered in here uh, in, on Sunday mornings. I want more people uh, under your word. So God, expand your territory uh, through us. Use Cross Culture Church for kingdom purposes. We're grateful for every opportunity that we have. And God, we love you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Okay, uh, last week uh, had one idea that was shared with you, and it was this. Your theology shapes your reality. Um, in other words, uh, what you really believe about God, what, what you, it, it, within, the, within the, who you are, what you believe or don't believe about God, it shapes your reality. In other words, virtually every other thing in your life is shaped by what you believe about God. Virtually every decision you make, maybe not, you know, what to cook for dinner, but I'm saying virtually every decision you make, or certainly every important decision you make, every, every uh, belief that you have, every, your worldview, all of those things are shaped by, they come off of really what is your belief about a God. And so, uh, it's, it's a very important subject, and uh, John spends a good bit of time throughout his letter, certainly as he's closing this thing out, a good bit of time establishing a theological mooring, uh, a theological uh, anchor for uh, the church. He clearly is trying to keep the church on a theological uh, on its theological footing. He wants to keep it upright. He wants to make sure it doesn't slip away. Um, and, and this theological mooring that he is establishing is simply this. We got it, Tyler? Um, no, I don't know what that is. But anyway, uh, the, the theological mooring that, that he is establishing, I'm sorry, I'm pro- probably, it's not you, it's, it's me, is this fact that, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's, he's establishing this, this fact. And so uh, he goes out of his way to establish this this uh, mooring that that we have, uh, and, and and let me just let me just take it to the second uh, idea. Your your theology shapes your reality. Okay, what you believe is gonna is gonna have this this influence on what you believe, what you hear on TV, what your politics are. There is a shaping that is done as a result of your belief in God. So the second idea then is this: is that your theology is then revealed. In your priority, it's then going to be, in other words, it's going to come to light in the priority or priorities of your life. That's where you'll begin to, to see it. Um, now I think I have it, Tyler, but now we come to this, this theological mooring, as I said, that he, that he said was simply this. Jesus Christ was and is God in the flesh. He's, 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 he's established this over and over and over, and he's pounding this home, and in verses uh, the first part of verse 1, he establishes it. And then in verses really 6 through 10, if you're here last week, in 6 through 10, he presents five witnesses as to, uh, to substantiate this claim that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And we looked at that uh, last week. 
He said, this is, this is how it is. This is who he is. Uh, I mentioned, we've mentioned throughout this letter that these heresies, these, these, these false teachings were, were surfacing. They're coming up and they were going this way and they're going that way. And some are received and some are rejected. And some people embrace and some people are rejecting and, and all this. But, but these, these heresies are flying all over the place. And again, John's trying to keep the church uh, established. I think I said this last week, but I really believe that's uh, at least part of the reason why God kept John around uh, as, as we know from, from, uh, from church custom, we believe that John was around longer than any of the other uh, disciples. And at least part of the reason was, I think, was because uh, the church, it was at a, right at the end of the first century. There's a lot of ideas coming in and some person saying this and you know, some person saying that. And John's saying, nope, I was there. I'm an eyewitness. I heard him. I heard his teaching. Boom, here's what it is. And he's, he's combating some of these theological uh, heresies that are flying around. And I mentioned that that's why it's so, it was important then and it's still important today because there are still heresies flying around today. And we've looked at some of the comparisons between some of the heresies, the false teachings today and some of the false teachings that were back then. There's some, there's some comparisons between some of them. And so this idea of establishing your theology becomes very, very important. And then uh, we come to this place where he says, what, what will begin to happen is what you believe about God, your theology, will then begin to impact your life. It will begin to become a priority of your life. I asked you last week this question. Why do I believe what I believe about God? So it's a very important question. Really. And I said, whether you're here and you believe in God or you're an atheist, why do I believe what I believe about God? It's, 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 it's something that has to be thought through. I want to push that question to the, maybe the, the next natural level. And so I want to ask you this question today. Does what I believe about God affect my daily life? Now, before you answer too quickly, <laughs> I must say, not in Steve's case. I must say that I have known more than a few people who would swear up and down that they believe in God, that they have a strong belief in God, that they absolutely know about God and believe who he is. But from observation, it appears that it has absolutely no effect on their daily life whatsoever. In other words, they decide what they want to do. They decide where they want to go. They decide how they want to act. They decide how they want to spend their money. They decide uh, how they want to treat people. They decide this sort of thing without, seemingly without little to no thought about the fact that they are accountable to God someday for their actions or, or that they, if they do profess to believe in God, that they represent him to a lost world around us. Or, I, 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 or... Or maybe a person, maybe this one hits a little closer to home. Maybe a person would say, absolutely, I believe in God. Praise Jesus. He is on his throne. He is in control of the situation. I know that God is all powerful. I know that God loves me and he has my best interest at heart. I, I, I know that, that God has got this thing. I, I know that God is in control. They may profess it with their mouth, but they oftentimes live in a totally different way. In other words, they oftentimes live not as if God is in control, but as if they are in control. Or perhaps even worse, as if their circumstances are in control. Do you think your circumstances are in control of your life? Many people I know that profess to believe in God live a life that is stressed, worried, anxious, 
fearful, and yet they say, oh, I know God, God's in control. Does what I believe about God affect my daily life? Does it have an impact on who I am and what I say that I believe about life? So, let me just say this. That John goes on, uh, we push on through here in 1 John 5, and he gives at least two areas where the priorities of our life should surface if we believe in God. You with me? That if, if, we, if, this, if this theology is real, if it's really substantiated in my heart and in my life, then there's at least two areas where the priority of my life ought to, ought to be in that direction. You got me? And I'm going to give them both to you at the same time, although we'll break them down uh, separately. And they are this. They are simply this. To love God and to love each other. That is the priority that John is going to lay out here. That's what it comes down to. To love God and to love each other. So this, there's this, this calling, this commandment, as we read in Scripture a moment ago, clearly to, to, to have these priorities in our life. And so I'm asking this question again. Does what I believe about God affect my daily life? So, that I'm, so, that I'm, so I, find, that I find this being the priority of my life. To love God, we're going to talk about what that means, and to love each other. Loving God... Um, let, let me break it down this way. Let me, let me put it this way. Here's how it's going to kind of look. If we love God, we will do what God says joyfully. Now watch what he says. Um, we're going to look at, I think, verse 3 through 5, this time from the NCV. He says, loving God means obeying his commands. Loving God means obeying his commands. And God's commands are not too hard for us. Because everyone who is a child of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. So the one who conquers the world is the person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So John says that, that if we love God, we'll keep his commands joyfully. And he, and he launches into here in verse uh, 3 through 5. I don't think anybody would argue with the fact. And what, 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 what you can see unpacked there in verse 3 through 5 is that our belief in God... Uh, reveals itself in, in two ways. It, it, is, it is both uh, an, an uh, expectation and an expression of our theology. It's both of it. It's both an expression and it is an expectation. Here's, here's what I mean. I don't think anybody would argue, or I doubt if very many people would argue, that it is God's expectation upon our lives that we would obey him, that we would keep his commands. I, I, I think very few people, I, th- I think most people understand that. I think most people understand that, that, that it's not asking God, it's not asking too much for God to say, hey, uh, if, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to believe in me, if you're going to follow me, then you've got to do what, what I tell you to do. Do you think that's an unrealistic expectation? Some people seem to think that it is, but it's not in any way unrealistic. After all, it's, it's not called the Ten Suggestions. It's called the Ten Commandments. There are certain commands that God gives us throughout His Word. Things that He wants us to do and things that He does not want us to do. That's, that's okay. We call them, some people say, oh, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Okay, there are do's and there are don'ts. There's just no way around that. There's no question that God has that expectation on our life. And I don't think it's unrealistic. Jesus said this in uh, Luke chapter 6. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I, I, love, I love that statement. Because it's like, Jesus, like, what? What, we, what, are you, 
what are you putting Lord in front of my name for? Lord Jesus. You don't even do it. You don't even do what I say. You understand what the word Lord means? Essentially, these didn't say that. I'm probably paraphrasing that. But you get, you get it? If I tell everyone that I have a personal trainer, and that that personal trainer comes to me and says, Clay, here's my expectations for your life. Here's what you got to begin to do. Here's how many hours you got to spend in the gym each day. Here's the exercise I want you to do. Here's how you do these exercises. Clay, here's what needs to happen with your, with your diet. Here's the kind of foods I want you to start eating. Here's the kind of stuff you're going to have to stay away from. Clay, here's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm expecting you to do. Here's, what, here's the results that you can see happen in your life. But Clay, this is what you're going to have to do in your life. If, if I have a personal trainer and he or she gives me those instructions, but I do not follow those instructions... I do not go to the gym at all, <laughs> or haphazardly, and I don't do the exercise they're told, and I don't eat the way they told me to. I eat what I want to eat. I, I do what I want to do. Then come on. Come on, right? You can see this. They're not really my personal trainer. Now, they may be a personal trainer, and they may be giving me personal training counsel through their expectations for, for my life, but if I'm not doing them, then they're really not personally training me. You get the picture? It's saying that God is my God, saying that I believe in God and that he's in control of everything, it, it, it doesn't really mean anything. He's not really my God. It's not really my theology if it doesn't impact my life, if it doesn't change my life, if it doesn't make me who he's desiring for me to be. One of my life verses, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14 says this, when the conclusion when all has been heard is, fear God. And keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or it is evil. Solomon says, here here it is, this is it. This is at the very end of his book on wisdom. He says, here's the whole total. Fear, revere, know God and keep his commandments. For this applies to every person. It's it's this idea that, that this is what I'll do. I'll keep his commandments. So it is an expectation, but, but it's something more. It's also a, a, an example. It's also a demonstration that I really do believe. Think about this. If I really believe that Jesus kicked death to the curb, that my sins have been forgiven, that I have been redeemed, that I am going to heaven absolute certainty when I die, that I, that I am no longer uh, uh, under the penalty or the judgment or the consequence or even the power of sin in my life because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. If I really, really, really believe that, then keeping his commandments, doing what he wants me to do, it's not a burden, as the New American Standard puts it. It's a joy. I want to keep his commandments. It's it's. It's something I want to do. Now, I still struggle with my flesh, right? I still, there's still, you know, the flesh wants to win out and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a drudgery, it's a delight. I want to do the right thing. I know I don't always do the right thing, but oh God, how I want to do the right thing. Why? Because I'm afraid he's going to zap me if I don't do right? No, that's, that's a God of fear, right? And what, what, is, what, what, did, we, what did we learn, in, in, what did we learn in, in Scripture? Perfect love casts out all fear. No, I'm not, a, not, not because I think, oh, he's going to zap me. Or not because, oh, he won't let me into heaven if, if, I, don't, if I don't at least tithe. <laughs> he's not letting me into heaven. Man, I wish he'd have said that one. But 
I, 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 no, I don't, I don't do it for any of those reasons. I do it because, because I've been redeemed. I've been delivered from bondage as a slave to sin. I've been set free and adopted into the family of God. And listen to me, like any, any child growing up, I want to make my father proud. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to do that. I want to make my father proud. I, I want to know that the decisions that I make, the actions that I take, please him. That, 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 he's, that he's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my child. I, I, just, I just think that that's how it ought to be. So, so in, in a sense, now listen to what I'm going to say here. In a sense, this, this first part that we said, love God, in a sense, that's easy. Now, again, I know we got our flesh and we can struggle with that. But what I mean is it's easy because God always loves us. God always has our best interests at heart. God always wants what is best for us. And we know that, right? It's what Scripture teaches, what, we, what, what experience teaches. We know that God always wants the best for us. We know that God, God is perfect. So it, it's easy, in a sense, to say, yeah, he, he always does right by me. I, I, I want to love him and respond. In, in that sense, it's easy because God is perfect. <laughs> you and I, on the other hand, are not perfect. We, we can operate in our flesh. We can be crass. We can be mean-spirited. We can be hard. We can be shallow. We can be indifferent. We can be uh, forgetful. We can be uh, cutting. We can, we can do so many things that make it hard for us to love each other. Can I get an amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? It can make it so hard for us to love each other sometimes. So the second priority of our life to love each other, that really can become the hard one. But this is serious to God. I mentioned a while ago the, the Ten Commandments. You go back, look at, look at them. In uh, Exodus 20, I think Deuteronomy 5, either one of those. You go back and look at them. The first four deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship with each other. So this is, this is a big deal to God, how we treat each other, how we feel about each other, how we love toward each other. This is, a, this is a big deal to God. And it's not easy because we are not perfect. And yet clearly that is the command. We are commanded to love each other, right? That's the command. And yet, it's a love that is different, as we discussed this in chapter 4. It's a love that is different from the world. Tyler, uh, bring up the next thing that I have on the slide, please. If we love each other, we will do what each other needs sacrificially. We'll do what God, we'll love God, and we'll show it by keeping his commands. But if we love each other, we'll leave, love each other in a way that is sacrificial for our lives. What it says, uh, I think, in the last part of chapter, verse 1 and then verse, verse 2. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Who's he talking about? Us. Yeah. Uh, assuming the person sitting next to you or behind you or uh, the person on the other side of the world that has accepted Christ as their Savior. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Clearly, many of the commandments that we've looked at in 1 John and throughout Scripture point to the fact that we are to love each other, right? This idea of, of loving each other. 
and John is establishing the fact that you can't, don't even talk to me about saying that you believe in God. Don't even talk to me about you love God if you don't love your brother and sister in Christ. Do you remember? And he said this before. This is not new. You remember back in uh, chapter 4 where he said, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, to paraphrase it, John says that's just stupid to say you love God and you got this against somebody over here that's your brother or sister in Christ. Now, if, if you didn't listen to those messages, you weren't here for chapter 4, I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. But a couple of things to point out uh, out of uh, that message a few weeks ago in chapter 4. Uh, one of them is this. When John refers to your brother, he's not referring to your biological kin, Okay. I mean, you ought to love your biological kin, and, and, but you do, right? This kind of happens now if you get mad at them at times, but you love them. But when John, in this context, he's not referring to your biological kin, who's he talking about? Us, that's right. That's right, us, each other, your spiritual kin, if you will. That's, just, that's what he's saying. He's saying this, this is who it is. This is who you got to love. That person in front of you, beside you, behind you. That person struggling over here or in that. The person who's a brother or sister in Christ. That, that's who your brother is. And two, like is not a third option. In other words, it's not enough to say, well, I don't, I don't, hate, I don't hate Pastor Clay. Or, well, I, I mean, I, I like that person. Listen, it's not enough. It's not, this is a radical kind of love that we are called to, folks. It is a forget about yourself, put the other person, God-like, agape kind of love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that person, he, she, they get on my nerves. I know, love them, love them, but they get on my nerves. I just can't get, be a, they just get on my nerves. Newsflash, you get on somebody's nerves. Let me assure you, you get on somebody's nerves. We all, we all do. We all have our stuff, right? We all have our weird idiosyncrasies. We all have our stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, y'all hug, but y'all, y'all have it. yeah. Y'all, y'all have stuff you get on. I can assure you, I get on Cindy's nerves. I can assure you, Cindy gets on somebody's nerves. And, and I know we're like, ah, mm. but this, this is radical, man. This is radical. This is saying, yep, they're imperfect. I'm imperfect. And we're called to represent a perfect God. Man, that's hard. Yeah, it is. It is hard. We do. We, we, we get on each other's nerves at times. We, we say, why, why do they do it? Why does, why does Clay have to straighten everything up when it's just a little bit crooked? He has to go around and straighten things up. and all. Why, why, we, we all have our stuff. But, but that's what we're called to do. We're to love each other sacrificially. In other words, our love is not based on the fact that what we know about them. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago? It's not based on what we know about them. It's not based on what they do to us. It's not based on what they do for us. It's not based on what we like about them or don't like about them. It is based on God's agape kind of love. Because God loves us that way. I mean, God accepted you exactly, right? And he says, that's how I want you to love each other. I want you to love each other in that same way. Just love each other. Let me ask you a question. Do you agape kind of love me? Do I, am I willing to overlook your whatever? Are you willing to love the person sitting on the other side of this room right now? If someone in this room had a need, 
Do you agape love them enough to meet that need, even if it may mean that you have to go without something as a result of meeting their need? Do I? I'm asking of that all of us. Do we really love? Do we love the, the fellow believers in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and wherever land? Do we love them enough to, to help support, financially put missionaries on the field? Or, heaven forbid, even be willing to go ourselves? I, I mentioned this last week. Liz, this, next week's her last week here before she returns to Russia. I can assure you she could make a pretty decent living working in the public school system right here in Wake County. Great. So we, we, have, we need godly teachers in Wake County. Like Linda, we have those, some of them, but we need, we need more, right? We need godly, but, but she's willing to go because she, wants, she believes where God wants her to be right now at this point in her life. So she's willing to go and work at a school where they don't even pay her and she has to raise her own support. Do, you, do we agape love? I know, I know, it keeps coming up, right? I'm tired of it too. <laughs> but John, he's just bringing us home, folks. You know, I think, I think sometimes... People, maybe all to some degree are guilty of this, are looking for the perfect church. It doesn't exist. It doesn't. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how flashy the show is. I don't care how magnetic a personality the pastor is. I don't care whether they serve coffee from a Keurig. Yes. The greatest, it's kind of scary to think, the greatest ministry decision I've ever made was to say, yeah, let's go ahead and get the Kurgs. Because so many people are happy about that. I understand. Do we, do we love each other enough to say, you know what, there is no perfect church because people are what make church a church and there is no perfect person. Does what you believe about God affect your daily life? Does it cause you to say, when you get up in the morning, I want to do what God wants me to do today. I want to honor him. I don't want to, I don't want to lustfully look at a person I shouldn't look at. I don't, want to, I don't want to think an evil thought about this person. I don't want to fly off the handle and enraged at this person because they didn't get it exactly right or they didn't treat me right or they didn't do right. I, I, I don't, if my order gets messed up, I, do I want to keep God's commandments? Which includes loving other people, loving other believers in the way that, that perhaps even costs me something. Does what I believe about God actually affect the priorities of my life? Thanks, Pastor, for that much-needed reminder today that what we say we believe about God ought to impact the way we live our lives. We all have priorities in life, but for followers of Jesus, our main priority must be to love God and demonstrate it by keeping His commandments and to love each other, demonstrating it through being willing to sacrifice for each other. A life with living for God as the priority not only honors God, it also is best for all of us. And it shows the world around us that our theology really does impact our lives in a positive way. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? 
If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.